Welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way Jam Sessions, hosted by author, speaker, coach, and singer-songwriter Creelan Peters, also known as the Fear Whisperer. Listen in as Creelan interviews powerful people who have tamed their fears, learned to embrace their greatness, and gotten out of their own damn way. And now, Creelan Peters. Hi, and welcome to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way Jam Sessions. I'm Creelan, and today I am so pleased to welcome my friend and colleague, Jacqueline Freeman. And we're going to find out a little bit more about her story, about how she's been able to get out of her own damn way. Before I bring her on the line, I'd like to read you a little bit about her. Jacqueline is a relationship alchemist and celebrant that is passionate about helping people nourish love's roots. The starting place, embracing your natural preferences, befriending your emotions, and being at home in your body so you can feel the support that is always around you. Raised in a strict Southern Baptist home in Tennessee, she was told that her body was the enemy. Her graduate studies in women's images in the media and how they impact sense of power and self-esteem confirmed her intuition that maybe it's not our bodies that are the problem, but our attitudes towards them. Since our relationship with our body and emotions is the template for every other relationship in our lives, It would do us good to make sure we've got a healthy marriage there. So welcome, Jacqueline. Hi. Hi. Hey. Ha. (laughs) It's great to have you. I'm so excited because I already know a little bit about your story. And I know that it needs to be out there because it's such a huge part of what you do in the world. And you do such awesome work with people. I'm just like, I need to have her on this show. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. It's funny to listen to the the, the text, too, because it's like, yeah, I used to not accept my natural preference at all. I was perpetually trying to stuff myself into a little box, and um, and I certainly didn't – I certainly wasn't friends with my emotions, right? I was like checkpoint Charlie Gestapo <laughs> emotions. And um, and then, you know, my relationship with my body has been very interesting. So it's nice to hear words like that and be like, wow, you really have shifted things around a lot, honey. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's a great uh, great bio that you've put together to really kind of celebrate your journey. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's when, it, you know, it resonates when you listen back and you're like, yeah. Yeah. Good. <laughs> Feels right. good. That's right, body. Take that. Yeah, exactly. That's good. <laughs> well, wonderful. So I know I read a little bit, but, you know, we're we're here to just kind of chat and, and, and see. Well, what I'm really trying to create here is is for other people out there to be inspired by, you know, the stuff that we've had to get over and to get through and, and what we've had to do to get out of our own damn way. So yeah. where where have been the hang-ups for you? <laughs> like maybe start with one. What was one big hang up for hey, you? I know we've you all got so many. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, really, uh climbing my way out of that massive abysmal chasm with a teaspoon uh, earring hook. Um so <laughs> there were so many hang ups. <laughs> um you know uh, in getting in, in kind of clearing the headspace to get ready for this over the past couple of days, as I saw it getting closer and closer on my calendar, um, 
I've been thinking about that, right? Like, what were some of the most important things that I had to had to do to get out of my own damn way? And mm-hmm. um, I think one of the one of the really big key ones was um, relinquishing my love affair with being a victim. Mm. I think that was really huge. I think, um, and I, you know, I grew up in this really. Uh, it was a perfect um, fertilizer for the work that I do now, but it was really shitty, as fer- fertilizer is. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> you know, at the time, it was really shitty. And um, yeah, yeah. so, you know, really abusive, two alcoholic parents. Both of the parents are narcissists, as alcoholics often are. And um, so, you know, so there was a lot of, and I was sexually abused and physically abused and, and all these kinds of things. So, um so it's very easy to look at that story and see myself as a victim, and I and I did uh, for a really long time. And I think at the very beginning, just when you're surrounded with that kind of – like, narcissists will always try to make you feel like you're the problem. Yes. Um, and so seeing that I had been done wrong to in itself was a step, really, mm-hmm. um, because I was being told that, you know, if I wasn't so the way I was, then this wouldn't be happening to me. Um, but even when I got to the place where I started realizing that I didn't want to be a victim anymore, um, I kept finding myself in these situations where, um, where, where I was being victimized, where stuff was happening to me that was totally unfair, mm-hmm. um, oftentimes illegal, <laughs> you know, um, like it was just wrong on all yeah. levels. Like it shouldn't have been happening and I was furious about it and, um, and it and and my anger didn't shift it either, right? Right, um, right. A lot of times, for people getting out of abusive situations, the anger is the rocket fuel that can get you out the door. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not until you get angry that you you start shifting things. But um, but at this place, like my anger, I was furious about these things that were happening to me, but it wasn't stopping them from happening to me. Right. Um, and so I had to really ask myself, like, okay, what is the payoff here? Because I'd already gotten to a place of it in my walk where I was self-aware enough to know that, that, I, was, that I had been living out of a victim mentality. And because I was living in the vic- that victim mentality, I was, in, I was inviting things to happen and um, not, shift, you know, not speaking up for myself so that I could you know, have this story about these terrible things that happened or whatever. And um, so I asked myself, like, what is the payoff here? Why, why, is, there's got to be a payoff or I wouldn't still be in this situation. There has to be a payoff or I wouldn't be in this situation. What is it? What is it? And I realized that if people were doing wrong to me, it meant I was right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that black and white, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I wanted to be right. I mean, I think we all really want to be right, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um... Uh, yeah, and so I, I had to ask myself whether being right was that important, <laughs> you know? Right, yeah, I, I've heard a quote that says you can be right or you can be peaceful. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's, there comes a time where, you you know, in order to live a more calm and peaceful life, you need to give up. And sometimes you are right, and that's okay, but that kind of that 
that driving, I have to be right about things, which I think is very understandable coming from that victim place, is first identifying as a victim so that you can understand that someone else did something to you that was that was a violation, but then it's stepping out of that at some point. And I think I think your distinction is, is just so helpful because a lot of us can get stuck in that victim thing. It's so easy. Mm-hmm. It's so easy, and um, and 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 having, I mean, because on the other side, like stepping out of that means I have to take responsibility for uh, what I, yeah, right. <laughs> right. That part is just like, oh, yes. Right? <laughs> like a bikini wax. It's just awful. Um, <laughs> you know, and it's it, it, like ripping. It, it, ripping. it, it is. It's, it feels terrible in the moment, whatever, but it's all like clean and nice afterwards. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it really um, that and that and it's getting to the place of, of recognizing. And I think I think the shame is a big part of it, which is why I love Brene Brown's work so much because she mm-hmm. gives us so much language to talk about these things. Um, but uh, like when you're in the victim mode, like the victim there's a lot of shame going on there, right? So you're really stuck in the shame blame stuff and um and it makes it very, very difficult to take responsibility when you're in that place. Because if I take responsibility it means I'm wrong. Right. Um but the only way to to change my life is to take responsibility for it. Yeah, and it it, it comes to you know, I, I think I in my experience it's been you know, the more responsibility I take, the more it doesn't matter about rightness or wrongness. Exactly. The more it's just about letting go and, and the forgiveness piece, which is, you know, not that what someone did was okay, but that that forgiveness is about you moving forward and you moving on. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I've seen, I've seen too, that the times... Like when I have a hard time forgiving, mm-hmm. um, I've 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 started seeing I've, I recognize now that it's because I'm actually angry at myself. Mm. I've I've found that it it's pretty easy to forgive people and situations now, right? Like after having these years of of learning to swatter, swallow the the bitter pill of responsibility, right? Because it's so empowering. Like if I don't. If I don't take responsibility, then I can't change anything. If I'm sitting and waiting for someone else to change, for my life to change, that's that's the mentality that sent me into suicidal depression at the end of my time in Holland. Yeah. Because I didn't see that they were going to change. Mm-hmm. And and they haven't. Right. <laughs> you know, ten years down the line now, they haven't. They still they haven't. So so of course, no wonder I was in this horrible place of despair. Um, because I couldn't live like that anymore, and I didn't see how things were going to change. And but I was waiting on other people to change for my life to get better, mm-hmm. um, in many ways. And um, there was a whole lot going on there. Actually, there's so many threads that yeah. um, gave way for me to sink down that hole. But um, uh, where was that going? My brain just <laughs> stopped, went offline. But um, yeah, that that taking the taking the responsibility and starting to um like okay, well if I don't like this, I'm a grown up now. Right. Um 
when I was a little girl, there wasn't a whole lot I could do to change my situation. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm a grown-up now, and so I can make those decisions. And if I don't like it, then I can make other decisions. And that doesn't mean I don't have to compromise or, or give concessions or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but my life is my responsibility. So, oh, it was the anger thing. So if I'm so now that I'm in this place, right? If something happens, then you. A lot of times, I kind of knew something was coming down, and I didn't listen to myself. So, um, so it just confirms how important it is for me to value my own opinion <laughs> and, and listen, value my own experience, and listen to what my emotions and my senses are telling me. Um, uh, but it's it's pretty easy to forgive people in situations because I I see how much um, that situation has helped me. So, like, with my own parents, for example, like, uh, my mom drank herself to death. She died in in 2010. Um, 50, was she 56? She was very young. Um, So, um, like, growing up, with that, I had a lot of anger, and it seems like every time I'd almost process something she'd done, she'd do something else, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Like, it was this never-ending, um, like, charges list or whatever. And um, standing at her, standing at her deathbed, um, she had had two attacks. So her eyes were rolled back in her head, and she was aphasic. Um, by the time I, by the time I was able to get back to Memphis and be there, mm-hmm. um, and so I walked into that hospital room, and she couldn't say anything, right? Like she was gurgling and moaning and things like this, but she couldn't mm-hmm. say anything. And it was probably the first time in my life that she wasn't able to throw a bomb at me the minute I walked in the door. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized in that I had spent my entire relationship with her picking shrapnel out of my eyes, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So I had never been able to see how much pain she was in. Yeah. And um, and she was in a lot of pain. And I recognized there at her bedside that as much as she hurt me, she she tried really hard not to hurt me as much as she had been hurt. Uh-huh. And I I don't see how you can ask much more than that. From people, right. So I was able to just like everything's. I mean, I still have stuff I have to process, basically. But like the forgiveness was in that moment of having that awareness. So I recognize now that if I get caught on something, um, it's usually something I'm angry at myself about. Mm-hmm. Then that relationship. So I I didn't I didn't express myself totally, or I continued to allow something to happen even when I knew. Um, that it wasn't any good, or, um, you know, stuff around, like, because I was a very young mother, and uh, so, you know, there would be stuff that I'd be mad about with Miles and Mom or whatever, but, you know, I was in my early 20s, and I wasn't willing to give up going and playing with my friends on Saturday night to -hmm. say, no, Mom, you can't see him anymore, do you know what I mean? Like. Mm stuff like that and um and so that's me I have to forgive for that right so um 
and talk about taking the emotional charge out of the situation. <laughs> when you when you realize that persistent anger, when I you know realizing that persistent anger means that I'm not forgiving myself or I'm not fully facing up and taking responsibility for the situation, uh-huh. like yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's that's a tough one. I I think that's. Um, I know I've struggled with that. I should just say it that way because I, I don't know that everyone has that particular same struggle. Um, but it certainly can be a challenge when you're so used to, um, <laughs> you know, bucking up against someone or yeah. or something or, you know, whatever, uh, an idea or whatever it is, and then realizing, oh, my gosh, wh- what role am I playing in allowing this to continue to happen? And Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah that was a – or uh, like recognizing how that bu- – I love that you said the bucking up against the stuff because coming from this very conservative um, Southern Baptist environment, like so much of my early identity was about not being what they were. Yeah. Right? And so I was like – it was like late 20s before I realized that they were still dictating my identity. <laughs> oh. <laughs> because I was – Dang! Yeah, why? Why? Yeah, I was holding on to it. So I was, like, not listening to my emotions, not being my full self, not doing what I wanted to do because I had some judgment about something that was natural within me because I felt like it looked like or acted like or got in the neighborhood of this thing that I've always said, that I've always, that they always did, and I hate them, so I hate everything they do. Right. (laughs) That's where I was. I'm not at that place anymore, but... But, yeah, that's where I was. So, um, and I had that, too, with, with my, because um, I'm a huge interface uh, junkie. I absolutely adore sacred texts. I'm a sacred text slut. There you go. I love all of them. <laughs> um, and curl up with them on the couch and everything. So, um, so I just, I love, I love signs and symbols and, and looking at these different um, sacred texts and things like this. And the, Getting out of my own way with the love and the and the insights that I'm able to have with it now was being able to forgive Southern baptism, right? Right, right. Um, and because I spent all this time saying, well, if that's God, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was being an independent thinker by doing that, right? I mean, it feels, sounds like it's really independent, like, oh, you raised me this way. Well, I'm not going to do that. But what I realized uh, later was that I was actually accepting their interpretation as being true mm-hmm. and then rejecting it, mm. which isn't actually thinking for myself. Right. I had not gone back and looked at those texts with my own eyes. I had always looked at those texts with either the that I want to be a good girl of my youth, right, or the angry bias, see, this is why you people are so effed up, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, of my of my uh, adolescence and young adulthood. Right. So I hadn't gone back and looked at that with my own eyes. I hadn't gone back and looked at that as a text, as a new text that that didn't wasn't burdened with other people's interpretations, so that I could find my own interpretation and let the text speak to me as an individual instead of carrying all this baggage into it. And so once I decided that, or once I realized that, um, then the way that I went about it was to just, so, you know, 
I don't know if everybody does this, but the Southern Baptists all have these Bibles with red letter words for the the words of Jesus. Uh-huh. I don't know if everyone does this, but um, so I just went back and read only only the teachings of Jesus. I was like, I don't want to hear what Paul has to say about it. I don't want to hear the commentary. I don't want to. I just want to, you know. And I realize that these texts have been lost and all this kind of stuff. But I, from what I have, I want to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. And I spent several months, maybe even a year, only reading the red letters. Um, And I came out of that with a very different understanding of what Jesus was about, what he was trying to teach, what his mission was, right? Very, like, radically different from what I had thought. Um, and, And that, like, I saw... And before that time, I'd kind of done this little religious cakewalk, right? So I'd I'd spent some time studying Taoism. I'd spent some time with Buddhism. I had ducked into Islam a little bit at that point, but the Quran sounded too much like the Bible, and I was still too, like, allergic, so um, (laughs) able to get into it then. Um, Bhagavad Gita, uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead. So, like, I'd done some of, you know, mostly mostly Eastern stuff, Mm -hmm. but when I came back to it that way, then I heard... Like, then it was totally different. Like, I was like, oh, wow, that's, like, one of the central teachings of Taoism or that, you know what I mean? Like, I, it, yeah. like the, it just started opening up for me. And um, so, and that's, and that really started this love of the comparative. Because then when I went back to these other texts that I'd studied before and then moved on uh, to, to texts like is the, the Quran, for example, um, like, it just... It's like I open the book and like movies are coming out. Do you know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. amazing how much stuff comes out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think all texts are that way. I think there are many inter- there is many interpretations as there are people. And I think good texts are supposed to be like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I taught writing and literature for thirteen years, so there's still that liter- literary <laughs> analysis. To yeah. yeah. But if you if you have a text that there is only one interpretation of and only one way of looking. That's not literature. It's propaganda. Mm. And so it amazes me that we, you know, that we walk into these sacred stories, these stories that are thousands of years old that have been sort of maps for the soul for so many, so many generations. And then we, we have this idea that there's only one way to look at this thing. Mm-hmm. Um that makes no sense if we really think about it, right? Yeah. Because um, obviously, like, good stories have lots of interpretations. That's why they stay alive, because they challenge people to think in different ways, because you come back to the story. Every time you come back, you see it in a different way. Um, you can have conversations with people about how they see it, and their perspective helps you see things. And You know what I mean? Like, it's just, just it continues to expand if we can kind of drop our, our preconceived notions or drop our agenda. And for me, that was about dropping my agenda um, and, and, and stopping my identifying myself and my, all my phrases by what I was not going to be or what I judged as being, mm-hmm. you know, stupid, you know, backwards, upside down, blah, blah, blah. Like all these judgments that I had about it were really shutting off what, able, what I was able to see there. Mm-hmm. And dropping those, dropping those judgments, and um, just letting things be was a big part of having that, and so many other things open up in my life. I think. 
Well, that, that's yeah, that's great. I, I wrote down a phrase as you were talking, uh, and it kept, kept coming up for me as a theme, and I just want to say it to you and see what your reaction is. Mm. Embrace to let go. Nice. Yeah. What a beautiful way of saying accept. Yeah. Yeah, because I you know in your story about the you know the Southern Baptists and your family and like and their story of of the interpretation or their interpretation of the Bible, uh, you know it just it, it was like you talked about how you had to embrace um, learning mm. it for yourself in order to let go of their interpretation. Yeah. Yeah, and I've seen that kind of like and, threaded through everything you were just saying there. Yeah, absolutely. And the same thing with just them as my family in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like getting, I think, the the place of peace that that I have uh, with my beginnings now is because I was able to finally embrace that had I not been brought up in this family, in this particular um, atmosphere with these particular problems, I mm-hmm. I wouldn't know what I know, understand what I understand, and yeah. learned I've learned, right? right. Um, they they taught me so many things, and it it wasn't you know sweet, gentle Mary Poppins <laughs> going to the last guy's house, you know. Um, it, there wasn't a whole lot of there wasn't a whole lot of sugar with the medicine for sure, right. <laughs> um, but. Uh, but it it was it was powerful and i learned a lot in a very short time but mm-hmm. i had i had to embrace my history mm-hmm. before i could let that go yeah yeah which is what the which is what forgiveness is all about i think that's also another way to yeah absolutely to define forgiveness is embracing to let go oh that's lovely oh i like that oh i do too i'm writing more down here oh, yeah it sounds it. much Surrender, doesn't it? <laughs> well, you know, and I, I, when you said, you know, it's a different way of saying accept, and I thought about that because, you know, I come from, you know, the double alcoholic family as well and the uh. double mentally ill parent family, and um, acceptance was not allowed right. of the truth. It was hidden. It was secretive. It was swept under the rug. We weren't allowed to talk about it. And so I think, you know, some people will resonate differently with it. And it really is about that different perspective and about how we learn. So some people might be fine with, oh, yeah, I just accept it. Well, for me, I I can have a physical reaction to that word sometimes Mm -hmm. because of my um, story. So, yeah, when I I heard that in my my brain as you were talking, I'm like, ooh, yeah, you know, because for me, I've had to let go of a lot of things. And, and, you know, I've had to embrace, uh, you know, the same struggles that, you know, I had um, having to learn to accept my mother and, 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 and all of that. So, and you and I have talked about all that stuff, too. Yeah. But um, it, it's, it's amazing how just looking at it from that different perspective just sheds a different light on it. Well, it's yeah. kind of like the work that you do, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Shocking. Funny how that happens. No, it, it really is true that I love um, – that that idea of the um, oh my brain just went offline again. Um, go ahead and ask another question. It'll come back around. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
it'll come back around. So we're just talking like acceptance, forgiveness. I like what you said about the what forgiveness is about too, because that can be another resistance. And sometimes people have difficulty with that word forgiveness because you talk about having been abused. You know, there are a lot of people who have a difficult time. You know, I've been a therapist. I'm a life coach. I've dealt with people with these traumatic pasts too, and it can be a challenge that whole forgiveness piece. And it's yeah. a double-pronged thing, like you said. It's it's not only forgiveness um, of the person, while not necessarily forgiving the act, but forgiving them, but it's so that you can let go. And there's also that piece of self-forgiveness because victims typically have that, that thought of what did I do wrong. You said you mentioned the word shame. Um, and, and so it's it's having to forgive yourself as well. Even if you were a small child and it was outside of your control, there's still a self-forgiveness piece that typically has to happen as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And um, and I think too we have this. Yeah, we have this idea that acceptance means saying it's okay, mm-hmm. um, or that we condone something. Right, right. And I what was it a song that was like. Uh, what is the song? She's like, uh, it's all right, but it's not okay. Who was mm. it that I'm going to live my life anyway? I can't remember. Who, it was like an R&B song. But um, uh, because it will be all right. <laughs> Everything will come back right again, you know. So we have this idea that, that acceptance or forgiveness means that we condone that it happened, um, that uh, – and and I think too it's interesting one of the things I've been thinking about in my own in my own personal work these days um is you because you can always dig deeper into that forgiveness right yes uh-huh is um like how how attached I am to my judgments about things mhm cuz that seems to stand and that's standing in the way it's it's been standing in the way in a, in a lot of places um and there it is standing in the way again mm-hmm. um because it's it's relinquishing those judgments a lot, um, I think, that makes it so particularly difficult. Like, we want to continue to judge, hmm. but we also want the peace that comes from forgiveness. Yeah. <laughs> and don't seem to be able to live in the same space very well. <laughs> it, it is a challenge, and that's the, the great paradox, is that and that's kind of like embrace and let go. It's like, how do you do that? You know, but it's true. You have to... It, it's kind of two two sides of the same coin, and um, you know you can't have one without the other. Like one of the analogies that I used to that I like to use with my clients is you know the devil on one shoulder, the angel on the other. So you can't you can't have one without the other. So a lot of times we just want to give up the what we consider the bad stuff or the negative stuff, um, but you can't have one without the other. You know, it's it's kind of everything balances out at some point. So, you know, it's one of the things that I love to teach people is it's not about not having judgment because it's kind of hard or maybe impossible not to have judgment, but it's about learning about it, becoming friends with it, understanding it instead of just tossing it aside as some evil stepchild. Mm, mm, interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I see judgment as... Um, like my ego loves it. Mm-hmm. Oh, it loves it. It's like chocolate for my ego. It just, 
favorite thing. It really is. My ego loves nothing more. And any opportunity, right, like whether it's like, oh, can you believe that? What kind of person would so-and-so, you know, to like um, remember when you, as teenagers or whatever, like just sitting in the mall and like ragging out people's outfits. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like just, you know, every form of judgment absolutely possible on every certain thing. I still like drive. I'm, I'm incredibly judgmental when I drive. Um, I have all kinds of judgments when I drive. Right. Um, and I'm I'm very loud about them inside my car. But um, <laughs> so my my ego just loves it. It really really loves it. And I think um, like I'm trying really hard to recognize when it comes up and and not get attached to mm-hmm. my judgment. Mm-hmm. Um, because it because it, it's it is all t- attached to that whole um, wanting to be right. Yeah. Which means I need to make others wrong. Mm-hmm. Um. And there's, I mean, there's so much tied up into that. And but it's very distancing, right? Like if I, it takes the humanity out of things. It really, um, it really is the basis of fundamentalism. And and you can be a fundamentalist about anything. This is one of the things that I've learned, <laughs> is that um, not just religious people are fundamentalists. I mean, there are fun, people that are fundamentalists for their political party. Yeah. There are there are people that you can be a, you can be an evangelical fundamentalist about just about anything. I've met lots of evangelical fundamentalist atheists, in fact. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Because it's just this: I'm right, you're wrong. <laughs> it's the soapbox. <laughs> yeah, the only way it is to do it. Anyone uh-huh. that doesn't do this is is an idiot or a sinner or. Uh, you know, a fashion loser or whatever, whatever the term for sinner is in that crowd, right? Right, right. So, um, so I think like learning to detach from the judgment is a is is a really effective way to mm-hmm. sap the energy out of the ego and make sure it stays in the back seat. Right. Like, and I don't, I don't think. So this is another one of the things too, right? Like, raised as a Southern Baptist, um, this idea that you know. Um, so I was raised with this idea that, that we're fundamentally corrupt and um, you have to find something outside of you to not be corrupt and um, and it puts you in this really vulnerable place because what if it's not the right thing, right? What if I'm, yeah. what if I'm being tricked and, and I'm following the devil and so Jesus, you know, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. So you're just in this incredibly, like, tottering, terrifying place. So it feels good to judge other people because then, well, at least I'm not, it's going to be in the deepest pit of hell like those guys because those guys are really going down. Like, I'm better than they are. So Right. Um, so then it's a kind of a justification. It's also, you know, what another term that came up is misery loves company too. So we're going to like, you know, if, if we're all not great, then then that's okay. But if someone else is more outshining us, then uh-oh. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. And it is exactly that mindset that is repeated in sacred story after sacred story after sacred story um of the way that mobs take down light. <laughs> you know. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and um and and I think it is like being really trapped in that and because you can't be in the judgment mindset without the shame blame thing going on. Mhm. Mm-hmm. Um and and I think uh and have experienced that that whole shame blame thing like that it distances us from ourselves it distances us 
from other people. It distances us from from our dreams. Um, it distances us from spirit and our source. Like it, it's just it distances us from our emotions, right? Like when I, because mm-hmm. um, I used to be like checkpoint Charlie with my emotions. Like I had this idea of what I was supposed to be or who I wanted to be, or um, and large pieces of that based on what my family was. So I did not want to be that, right? <laughs> so. Um, but if an emotion came up, then it was like, who are you? What are you doing here? What do you want? What do you mean? Oh, yeah, yeah. And if it didn't um, fit into this framework I had built for who I, you know, this box I was stuffing myself into, basically, um, then it got it got shoved down and under, right? Mm-hmm. Um uh, and and I call that emotional kimchi because that stuff doesn't go away, right? It just like yeah. festers underground and um, puts off this awful odor and uh, <laughs> sends you into these like ridiculous patterns over and over and over again. And um, so so being at that place where, but there was all this. I mean, I was doing that because I I had this shame right, about my own emotions, about the things that were happening on inside of me, and um, I, I didn't realize that at the time, but I just, I saw, um, I finally was made aware that those emotions weren't going away, and that me shoving them down was the reason I couldn't break out of the pattern that I was stuck in, um, yeah. so it was vital depression in Holland that helped break a lot of that stuff open. Because um, it was like, well, I've, you know, I have, I have lived, and I don't know how many states. I've had different jobs. I have now moved across an ocean, and I still, wherever you go, there you are, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so I learned a new language for the love of God, and I'm still <laughs> in the same freaking situations. How the hell did that happen, right? And, um, and realized that it was, you know, I, I had to let those emotions. So the, all these emotions from the trauma that were there, of course. So it, you know, it started as something functional because had I felt all the emotions from those traumas at the time that they were happening, it would have fractured my psyche into a million different pieces, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so it started as something functional, but but I kept doing it <laughs> into the place that it was severely dysfunctional. So um, so first it was you know letting go of those. Let, for feeling those emotions um, and and feeling the feelings that uh, that had happened in the trauma that I wasn't able to feel when I was a child and and it wasn't easy it was really horrifying it felt like I was going through it again um, yeah. and it's something I warn my clients for like this is not <laughs> this is not easy I'm not tell, this is not mm-hmm. rainbows and unicorns mm-hmm. by any stretch of the imagination and um, but I did feel. So that first major flush, like I, I felt pre- – I was by myself, and I was in a friend's um, flat in, in Brighton, England, um, where that energy is just in the air. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like everybody goes there to burn – I burned like nine years worth of journals on the beach. And nobody even batted an eye, you know? Like it's just one of those kind of towns. So um, – but I, I did feel um, – presences next to me as that was flushing out and they just kept reminding me you're an adult now you're safe this is in the past we're just cleaning this out you're an adult now you're mm-hmm. safe this is in the past we're just cleaning this out and um and that stayed my mantra for a really long time right and that flush was terrifying it it felt all the horror the pain the betrayal everything that I hadn't been able to feel when I was smaller 
um, I felt in that moment. It felt like it was happening all over again. Mm-hmm. And um, But after that release, I felt like a million pounds lighter. Mm-hmm. Um, there was this, there was room inside of me, you know. And I used to have these dreams of of furniture, like houses, where like the the main floor was nice, but as soon as you went into like a back bedroom or upstairs or something, like there was so much furniture you couldn't even move through the room. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um. Used to have those dreams all the time. And after I, and I remember the first time that I saw a Hoarders episode, I was at my brother's house, um, and he put it on to laugh and judge these people. <laughs> um, and so I'm sitting there watching it with my niece on my nap, on my lap, and as soon as they showed the inside of this person's house, I was like, oh, my God, that's what my head looks like. Mm. That's what my head looks like. Wow. I have got... So many things up there that I am hanging on to that I won't clear out, that I have this idea that if I throw away the stack of wrongs that has been done to me, I'm going to lose my identity. I'm going to mm-hmm. disappear with it. Mm-hmm. That if I if I let go of um, this pile of soiled laundry, if I let go of these teddy bears with their eyes pulled out, you know, that... Um, that I'm going to be that I I'm going in the trash with it, you know. Yeah, that's so fascinating how we we tell those stories to ourselves. Yeah. 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 Yeah, it was huge and um and it's something that uh I've been thinking a lot about more and more lately cuz the go the it's not go ask Alice. What is it? Alice is still here. What is the name of the book? And it's a movie now about the woman with Alzheimer's. Oh, oh gosh. Um, yeah, I'm not going to remember. <laughs> okay, but how funny. <laughs> I know. <laughs> remember what the title is. But um, so it, there's something about Alice that I remember. But um, so it is a book, and it's been made. In, I haven't seen the movie yet, and I've gotten about halfway through the book. I was talking talking about the book with a friend of mine that had recommended it to me, and um, so we're having this conversation about. Well, if you, my friend said, well, if you lose your memories, then you lose who you are. Mm. Um, and I don't know that I fully accept that. And it makes me question it anyway, because I think um, that there's there's something behind the memories that that makes sense of the memories that that pulls some narrative around the memories, right? Because mm-hmm. there's just as many ways to interpret my memories as there are to interpret uh, Moby Dick or the Bhagavad Gita, <laughs> you know? Right, right. There's just as many different ways to interpret that. So so if, I, if, I'm, if I'm losing the story or losing the memories, then, then I feel like there has to be something beyond that that is me because mm-hmm. I'm interpreting the memory, so the memories can't be me. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes it's like it's almost like part of the story. Yeah. Mhm. So, and I've I've seen like um and again this whole thing about letting go, right? Cuz my grandmother has Alzheimer's. And um when it first started coming on, it was interesting to watch, and she's come to a peace with it now. 
um, which is really beautiful, actually. Um, but she she is a force of nature, my grandmother. Um, she was raised, she was a sharecropper in Mississippi and um, left the fields and went to college mm. and then went on to get a master's degree. And men in the fields in Mississippi did not do that in the 1930s. Mm-hmm. And women certainly did not do that in the right. 1930s. Right. So um, she is really a force of nature. And um, but she, you know, she gets locked onto something and she doesn't let go. And I know in her mind, um, so so much of that is, you know, it's this commitment to her sense of values. It's um, I know that her intentions are good around those kind of things, but she's incredibly rigid, and it doesn't, or has been, um, and it didn't matter how many things happened, how wrong things, it didn't matter. She Once she stayed, once she got a mind to this, she was not going to let it go. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really wonder whether, because when the Alzheimer's first started happening, I got the sense that it's like her her thinking was so rigid that it couldn't handle the pressures of change, right? So it started fragmenting because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. it was like these little shards of, you know, and people talk about that with Alzheimer's and things like that, that it's this fragmenting of the mind, that you have these shards of memory, this kind of stuff. Um, and it's really had me thinking a lot about um, and feeling the call myself to make sure that I've become more supple in my thinking um, mm. because it runs in my family, um, my great great grandmother had it as well. So, um, but it makes me wonder what you know if if we're going to be more supple in our thinking, um, if we can forego things like that. And certainly, the struggle while it's happening is a lot about wanting to hold on to this particular identity, wanting to hold on mm-hmm. to life as we know it, and um, and. And so the struggle and the pain in not being able to let go mm-hmm. and accept that things are shifting now, you know. Yeah, yeah. And they always are. Right. And I think now more than ever, um, you know, somebody, one of my one of my clients had asked me, because we've just come through fertile equinox with a, with a new moon and a solar eclipse and all this kind of stuff, you know, and... Um, I don't know that much about astrology, but I like to listen to what my astrology friends are talking about with stuff like this. <laughs> and um, and so one of my clients had asked me, like, well, is this going to be good change or bad change, you know? Mm-hmm. And it was like, this is, it's just change. change and yeah. if you, it all whether or not it's good or bad is totally going to depend on whether you're able to roll with it or whether you go under because you won't let go. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. It, it really, and I think that really ties in nicely with some of the other kind of themes that have come up um, in our conversation today. And I know I could talk to you forever, but we are over time. So oh. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, I just, I'm like so fascinated with with everything that you're saying, but I want to um, make sure that people know how to get in touch with you if they want to um learn more about you and your story and the work that you do. So can you um, hand out a a website or uh, other ways to get in touch with you? Yeah. So the website is, uh, my business is Rights O Passage, R-I-T-E-S-O-P-A-S-S-A-G-E. 
And the website is uh, www.writesapassage.com. Um, I do have a newsletter that I send out, and I've got a blog there on the website. Um, I'm going through some shifts and changes right now with it. So um, I just started something called the Authentic Attraction Relationship Booster Club. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going to be shifting the website uh, structure around a little bit more um, to highlight that, mm-hmm. um, just as a place to um, to see our relationships in a different way instead of spending our time uh, flagging other people off and being miserable all the time, <laughs> looking oh. to create space. So, um, and then my email address is info at rightsofpassage.com. And again, that's R-I-T-E-S-O-P-A-S-S-A-G-E.com. Yeah. Great. Wonderful. It was, it was wonderful chatting with you. And I wonder if you have one little tip that you can tell our listeners, um, just one get-out-of-your-own-damn-way strategy. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think our th- I I think the way you phrased it of um embrace to let go um is is really fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yay. Yeah. Just really learning to kind of um accept go in with a sort of mindset that uh just for the sake of argument Pretend that you set all this up (laughs) here, and every person that you're struggling with right now is someone you handpicked to teach you that lesson. If you see it that way, how does it how does it shift? Oh, that's a whole other conversation, isn't it? Oh, my goodness. But, yes, no, I'm right with you. I, I totally get that. But, oh, my gosh, yeah, boom. Talk about, you know, a bomb just exploded, right? Yeah, just like, just yeah. Just blow no, it's your a, mind. It's yeah. a paradigm shifter. <laughs> it's a big paradigm shifter, yeah. It is. So we'll, so we'll leave with embrace to let go and then that other stuff that Jacqueline said if you're ready for it, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Jacqueline, for being a guest on the show. And thank you all for listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way Jam Sessions. And stay tuned for more inspirational interviews. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. You've been listening to the Get Out of Your Own Damn Way Jam Sessions with Creelan Peters. Join us next time for more inspirational stories and invite your friends to join us at www.creelan.com slash getoutofyourwayinterviews. That's www.krylyn.com slash getoutofyourwayinterviews. Thanks for tuning in.